Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Are you caring for an aging parent? Are you searching for answers? Welcome to Senior Care Live, a program dedicated to you, providing information, education, and resources, helping you become the best caregiver you can be. I'm your host, Steve Keeker. Hello and welcome to Senior Care Live. I'm Steve Keeker, President of Senior Care Consulting. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate it. The mission here on the program is to provide information, education, and resources for seniors and their caregivers. We discuss important subjects such as how to remain independent in your own home, when to consider moving from your home to a senior care community. If you do need to do that, how do you find the right senior care community for you? your exact needs. And then there's the whole discussion over uh, payment and financial matters, how to pay for the high cost of senior care. We also review legal issues involving elder law and estate planning, and we discuss how to care for the caregiver. So if you're listening to the radio, streaming us online, or listening to a podcast after the fact, again, thanks so much for being here today. You are appreciated. If you need help with placement services from my firm, Senior Care Consulting, or if you want to learn more about the services provided by one of our very knowledgeable guests, you can reach us on our toll-free number at any time. That's 1-800-331-6445. Again, 1-800-331-6445. Also, don't forget to visit online. We have a really good website. It's called Senior Care Live, L-I-V-E, Senior Care Live. Dot com. And on today's program, we'd like to introduce my first guest today, Dr. Valerie Smith with Crossroads Hospice and Palliative Care. Uh, doctor, welcome back to Senior Care Live. It's great to be back, Steve. All right. So uh, October is uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Now, we're not wearing our pink ribbons and our, uh, our, our socks and that sort of thing, but we're on the radio, so we can kind of get away with that today. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so breast cancer and, and uh, risk prevention, and I know that you have a wealth of information. And this, you know, this is Senior Care Live, and so obviously this impacts uh, females, you know, at, at the older ages, but a younger, younger women can, uh, uh, are at risk for breast cancer as well. So, uh, so let's get into this and uh, uh, just talk about you know some of the some of the great information. You know, can breast cancer be prevented? Well, Steve, there's no sure way to prevent breast cancer, but there are things that we can do to lower our risk, such as changing risk factors that are under our control. Mm-hmm. And those risk factors are. Well, you know, a risk factor um, is something that um, affects our chances of a disease of obtaining a disease, and some things we can have an effect over and some things we cannot have effects over. Mm -hmm. Um, Some things that we cannot change, for example, are being a woman. I I, I can't change that. I'm born that way. I cannot change that. By simply being a woman, 
the main risk, and that's the main risk for um, obtaining or getting breast cancer is just being female. Sure. Men can get breast cancer. Well, and I was going to ask that. I know that's probably pretty rare, but is it possible for a man to get breast cancer? It, it is, sounds like the answer is yes. It is, but it's 100 times more likely to be a female. Sure, a- absolutely, absolutely. Another, okay. another factor that we cannot change is just getting older. As we age, our risk for getting breast cancer increases. Um, most breast cancers are found in women age 55 and older. Okay. Another factor that we can't change are the certain inherited genes. Uh, if you have a strong family history of breast cancer, that is something you can't change. It's passed down through the generations. Okay. Having a family history of breast cancer, having a personal history of breast cancer actually puts you at risk of developing another type of breast cancer, even if that first one is treated. Really? So if it, if, so if breast cancer is found once, then you're at high risk for have, having this again, uh, come up again and, and maybe even a different type of breast cancer. Exactly. A different like cellular structural type? Correct. Okay. Correct. All right. Um, also another factor that we cannot take into, um, something into our own hands and change are, are our race and our ethnicity. Overall, white women are slightly more likely to develop breast cancer than African American women. But in women under age 45, breast cancer is more common in African-American women. African-American women are also more likely to die from breast cancer at any age. Asian, Hispanic, and Native American women have a lower risk of developing and dying from breast cancer. And does anyone know the reasons for that, all of those facts and statistics? I don't know that they actually know exactly. I'm sure that there are some theories behind that. And part of it could just be access to health care. Okay. All right. All right. That, that's interesting. Um, and um, yeah. And so some of these things you can't change. I mean, you can't change if if you're a female, you can't change. You're glad you're you're growing older. <laughs> right? That, right. I mean, we all want to be around as long as we can. So uh, some of those you cannot change. Are there any other risk factors you wanted to cover that you can't change? Well, having having a certain type of breast tissue, having dense breast tissue, that's just something that's part of your that your lineage that you inherit at that point, And that's something that you cannot affect by your diet or just you know of, of anything that you can do it's just it's just going to happen that way so so dense breast tissue is at higher risk or higher incidence that can put that that you can have a higher a higher risk with that part of that is because it's harder to see any okay. of the abnormalities at right. times yep okay uh, another um risk factor that you can't change is um if you've had radiation to your chest for any other reasons let's just say if you've had lymphoma and you've had radiation, and that actually puts you at a higher risk at that point of developing a breast cancer. Just because of that radiation exposure? Yes, such as you know, Hodgkin's disease, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, just because of that radiation, it puts you at risk. Yep, so the exposure of the radiation, and boom, there your risk factors just increase. And, and, you, and you, again, you can't help that either. I mean, if you have one of those diseases, you're going to probably be treated with uh, you know radio, radiological uh, treatment, and then... There, there goes the increase in breast cancer or, or the potential for it. But after that's being done, you might want to make sure at that point that you are having regular mammograms. Absolutely. Um, some lifestyle-related breast cancer risk factors. These are things that we can change. Okay. Um, drinking alcohol. Drinking alcohol um, has been clearly linked to an increased risk of breast cancer. You're kidding. Yes, I'm I not kidding. I had no <laughs> idea. Yes, it, it's it's. It's not increased if you just limit it to about one drink a day, but any more than that, your risk definitely goes up. 
Wow, that that is that kind of blows my mind. I've never heard that before, and that is uh, that's very interesting. You always hear about a little bit like like a glass of wine, you know, thins your blood. It's good for your heart and and all these sort of things. And so it sounds like just minimum alcohol consumption is not an issue, but more than that, and and that starts to become an issue. That is correct. Excessive alcohol consumption is also known to increase risk of other cancers, too. Wow. The American Cancer Society just recommends that women who drink have no more than one drink a day. Okay. All also, right. another factor that we can have some control over is being overweight or obese. Being overweight or obese after menopause increases breast cancer risk. Really? Yes. So that is another factor that we need to take into consideration as we are aging. So after menopause, so that that's probably where you're getting into into that you know age fifty to fifty five plus, and and the the uh, your risk factors and the the percentage starts to increase. And as we'll talk about in a little bit later, is at age fifty five, that's why we start doing mammograms every year, right? Instead of every other year, right? Okay, all right. Another uh, risk factor that we can have some control over is not being physically active. The opposite of that is getting physically active. Sure. So that's something that is um, that is in our control. Evidence is growing that regular physical activity reduces breast cancer risk, especially in women past menopause again. You're starting to see, see some uh, some things kind of come together here, aren't you, with, with all this information? Uh, yeah. Yes, yes. Yep. Keep your weight down. Keep active. Uh, don't don't drink excessive alcohol. Uh, all of these things are starting to ring loud loud bells here. Mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Another risk factor <laughs> that we can change possibly, uh, according to the American Cancer Society, is not having children. So women who have not had children or who had their first child after age 30 have a slightly higher breast cancer risk overall. Okay. Um, so again, when you have your children, sometimes if you have them earlier, that actually puts you at a lower risk factor for developing breast cancer later on. Okay. Um, another risk factor that we can change is not breastfeeding. So some studies suggest that breastfe- breastfeeding may slightly lower breast cancer risk, especially if it's continued one and a half to two years. Okay. Uh, birth control is another uh factor that we can change some birth control methods use hormones which might increase breast cancer and so women we ask you when you're thinking about hormonal birth control women should discuss uh, their discuss that with the other health care factors that they have that might increase their risk and also hormone therapy after menopause is something that could increase our risk of breast cancer and so we might want to think of options other than that I, i've heard i've heard a lot about that where uh, huge huge risk factors for um taking the, the hormone replacement therapy after after menopause. Some other things that have not been proven out yet, there's still researches waiting on those, would be tobacco, smoke, chemicals in the environment, uh, night shift work, and our, our diet and any vitamins that we take. So those are still up in the air and research is still pending. So how can we lower risk for breast cancer? Well, for all of us, get to and stay at a healthy weight, be physically active, and limit or avoid alcohol. Okay. And, you know, so, so you hear all the time, you know, especially from, from your, your healthcare provider and, and you hear it in the media, you hear it from your mom, <laughs> right? You need to stay active. You need to exercise. You need to walk more. You need to have your, uh, you know, your, your, 
your heart rate up uh, for you know at least 20 minutes a day. All these things that you hear about, uh, don't drink too much, eat the right food. All those things, they sound cliche, but they're, they're actually true. And they're major, major health benefits uh, because of that, including reducing your risk of breast cancer. We're talking to Dr. Valerie Smith with Crossroads Hospice and Palliative Care. You can reach out to Dr. Smith and the great team at Crossroads Hospice at 816-333-9200. But that's not, uh, let's not forget the uh, Senior Care Live question of the week. At what age should women begin starting mammograms? A, age 30 to 35. B, age 40 to 44. C, age 50 to 55. And D, age 60 to 65. We'll have the answer right after the break. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, call now, toll-free, 1-800-331-6445. Operators are standing by, 1-800-331-6445. I'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information about the services offered on this program and how we can help you and your family, call our toll-free number at any time, 1-800-331-6445. Operators are always standing by. A real person will answer the phone. No voicemails here at Senior Care Live. We are old school right here on the program. I, I hate leaving a message on voicemail. I want to talk to a real person, so that's how we... Uh, operate this as well. You can again reach us at toll free number. That's 1-800-331-6445. And don't forget, you can stream the program to any electronic device. Very simple to do. Go to seniorcarelive.com. Click on the listen live button or the giant microphone right there on the homepage. Give it a few seconds to connect and you are in. It'll stream to your phone, your tablet, your computer, whatever you have. And it really is that simple. Lots and lots of people do that every week, so help yourself. Back to the Senior Care Live question of the week. At what age should women begin starting mammograms? A, age 30 to 35. B, age 40 to 44. C, age 50 to 55. Or D, age 60 to 65. And the answer is... B. The answer is B. You should begin starting mammograms at age 40 to 44, and we're going to have more detailed information uh, on that. But back to my special guest today, Dr. Valerie Smith with Crossroads Hospice and Palliative Care. And if you want to reach out to Crossroads Hospice, a phenomenal hospice provider, just incredible. We talk about all the great things that Crossroads uh, does here on the program. Uh, Reach out to them at 816-333-9200, And Dr. Smith, even though that's an 816 Six number uh, that will take care of an inquiry for the entire KC metro area. Is that correct? Yes, we can um, get those who would be interested on in the Kansas side with our Kansas team also. Yeah, okay, so 816-333-9200, serving all three areas of the KC metro area. You know, I notice I said three, so Kansas, Missouri, and north of the river, that's kind of a, our, our third little uh, region here uh, in our town. So, all right, so let's get back to uh, it. October is Breast Cancer Awareness. Awareness Month, and in this second segment, we're going to talk about early detection and diagnosis for the average uh, risk here. 
Yes, we're going to talk about um, breast cancer and can it be found early? Okay. And absolutely, breast cancer uh, found early and then being treated with state-of-the-art treatments is the most important strategy to prevent deaths from breast cancer. Breast cancer found early when it's small and has not spread is easier to treat and it's successful at that point most times. Getting so, just like all the other cancers, I mean, if you can find it early, there's a good chance here that you can beat this. Absolutely. Getting regular screening tests is the most reliable way to find breast cancer early. The American Cancer Society has screening guidelines for women at averages, excuse me, at average risk of breast cancer and for those at a higher than average risk for breast cancer. We're discussing average risk today. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the screening test, the goal of a screening test for breast cancer is to find it before it causes symptoms, mm-hmm. like a lump that can be felt. We want to find it before it actually can make a lump. In the past, we used to have women do monthly breast exams, yep. and, and what studies have shown is that really is not catching it early enough. So women should be... Um, You're catching a little too far after the fact at that point. Absolutely. Because it's point, grown to the point where you can feel it. That's really too far. That's too far, especially yep. since we have... Um, we have screening that we can use. It can find it before it can even be felt. Sure. Screening refers to tests and exams used to find a disease in people who don't have any symptoms, and that's when we want to use it. Early detection means finding and diagnosing a disease earlier than if you'd waited for those symptoms to start. Okay. Guidelines are what we're going to talk about right now. The okay. guidelines I'm talking about are for the average risk for breast cancer. A woman at average risk doesn't have a personal history of breast cancer. They don't have a strong family history of breast cancer, and they don't have a genetic mutation known to increase their risk for breast cancer, like the the, the BRCA gene is what we call that mm-hmm. one. Um, and they have not had chest radiation before the age of 30, which we discussed earlier. Yeah. So as you said with your question, women between 40 and 44 years have the option to start screening with a mammogram every year at that point. And my wife started at age 40, and that's her doctor's recommendation right. as well. And, and the different societies will have different recommendations, but the American Cancer Society, this is their recommendation. Yeah, yeah. okay. Women 45 to 54 should get mammograms every year. It's said, okay, so you've put it off from 40 to 44. You definitely, at 45, need to start your mammograms every year. Women 55 and older can switch to a mammogram every other year, or they can choose to continue yearly mammograms. It's up to them. Screening should continue as long as a woman is in good health and is expected to live 10 years or longer. Okay. All women should understand what to expect when getting the mammogram for breast cancer screening, what the, ca- what the test can and cannot do. A mammogram is, and I'm sure you've heard stories about your oh, wife yeah. when she's had a mammogram. Not happy. No, 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 no. <laughs> it you does think, not sound comfortable at all. No, most of us who've had them understand what you're talking about there. And a mammogram, it's just, it is an x-ray of breast tissue is what it is. Yeah. But um, the way that it has to get that is kind of have to move things around and squish and make it as flat as possible. Yeah, yeah, that has to be very uncomfortable. But the, the, the benefits of it, though, are worth just a little bit of discomfort for a few minutes. No doubt. A regular mammogram can help find breast cancer at an early stage when treatment is most successful mm-hmm. absolutely so uh, no matter how uncomfortable it is i mean you, you just you have to do this because if if you wait till you find a lump you're you're really very potentially too late to have a successful treatment and outcome right i mean it's definitely gonna be more successful if we can catch it before yeah. we can feel or have absolutely. symptoms um so what about women with breast implants what do you think 
Well, I don't know. I mean, I hadn't really thought about it, but I mean, can you still identify a, a lump? Absolutely. Okay. Women with breast implants still need to have regular mammograms. They they might have to have a few more pictures taken, yeah. more x-rays taken, but definitely they still can have mammograms and they need to have their mammograms also. Mm-hmm. Okay. The reason they would have to have maybe a few more shots is because they want to be able to look behind the implant. Sure. Make sure not missing any of that tissue. Okay. All right. And then what do doctors look for on, on the mammogram? I mean, is there a, um, I, I, I don't know, is it like a little, I, I don't know, I, This <laughs> you're talking to a complete layperson. Is there like a little spot on the x-ray film or, or what do they look for? You know, what kind of a term have you heard before that um, might make somebody concerned when the doctor says, we saw some of these in your mammogram? Yeah, well, so my my own mother had a calcification uh, area, like just a small area, and it showed up on this on the mammogram, and they were concerned. But then they found out this is just an area of calcification; it's nothing to worry about. That's exactly what the the radiologists, the doctors, are looking for yeah. are things like this calcifications. They're looking for different types of breast tissue, such as small white spots called calcifications. Lumps or tumors called masses and other suspicious areas that could be signs of cancer. Okay. All right. And then, uh, so, can, can, can you have a mammogram that, you know, mix, misdiagnoses breast cancer or maybe misses the breast cancer? Absolutely. Even though mammograms are the most effective means that we have for detecting early, um, they can be, there are things that can be missed at times. And I've heard all kinds of stories from female friends of mine uh, where they had to go in and do a needle biopsy. Uh, and you're looking for cellular uh, information at that point, And then they found out it was a cyst. And they were so relieved uh, that uh, it wasn't a malignant tumor. It was a benign cyst, and it wasn't a problem for them. The, so. major- the majority of items that are found on a mammogram that require a biopsy, the majority of them are not cancer. See, and that's the good news. So, so October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Be aware. Do the self-check, but understand that the goal is to try to find this before you can actually feel the lump. I've been speaking with special guest Dr. Valerie Smith with Crossroads Hospice and Palliative Care. Dr. Smith, thanks so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Steve, you're very welcome, and thanks for having me back. You bet. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, call now, toll-free, 1-800-331-6445. Operators are standing by, 1-800-331-6445. I'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information about the services offered on this program and how we can help you and your family, call our toll-free number at any time, 1-800-331-6445. Again, 1-800-331-6445. And you know what? If you have something kind of hit you in the middle of the night or on, on a weekend or whenever it is, we answer this phone line 24 hours. 
hours a day. So feel free to call literally anytime. And don't forget, if you miss an episode of Senior Care Live, or maybe you want to share the program with someone else, or maybe you just want to listen to it again, no worries at all. Just go to SeniorCareLive.com, click on the podcast tab, and right there you'll find all of the previously aired episodes. Uh, give us a day or two, Monday or Tuesday, uh, to get uh, today's podcast uplo- uploaded and uh, on, on the website, and feel free to help yourself with that. And again, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people every single month listen to this podcast. And I need to do my math. It might be in the thousands now. So anyway, uh, the point is, uh, feel free to help yourself and listen to any of the previously aired episodes. And a special thanks uh, again, uh, thanks to Dr. Valerie Smith with Crossroads Hospice and Palliative Care. Uh, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So we talked about breast cancer risk and prevention, as well as early detection and diagnosis. And and so the whole point, you know, it, it's still important to do self-exams, but I, I think it's an excellent point. The earlier you catch breast cancer, any any cancer actually, but you know specifically breast cancer, uh, the the higher the uh, uh, the rate of of success of actually beating and, and getting rid of this cancer. So uh, so so you can win uh, more frequently with early detection, and you get that through a mammogram. I can't tell you how many ladies I've talked to, and they said, you know what, I'll never complain about the uh, the discomfort of a mammogram again. It saved my life. And so this is really, really serious stuff. So please don't put that off uh, and, and, uh, and, and get your mammogram every single year by the guidelines. And, uh, and hopefully they'll never, they'll never, uh, uh, find anything, anything with you. But if they do, again, the earlier it's detected, the more easily it is treated and the, the longer the lifespan. And hey, that's what it's all about. Again, if you want to reach out to Crossroads Hospice, our friends at Crossroads Hospice, 816-333-9200, a phenomenal hospice provider uh, it just doesn't get any better than crossroads i'll tell you that all right also want to say thanks again uh, to my special guest from last week mr tom gottschalk uh, he's a special investigator with the johnson county district attorney's office we discussed in depth for the entire program we talked about uh, elder abuse and and he broke it down into three areas physical abuse neglect and then financial exploitation he discussed an interesting concept uh, the fraud triangle i just thought it was some phenomenal information and i have just i've read about or i I've, and i I've seen and I've heard about all these different examples. Is uh, you know at at a particular uh, uh, senior care uh, facility, there was a video recording uh, of a, of an elderly person in in compromised position. Actually, a staff uh, carried their their cell phone and and uh, and made a recording of an elderly person in a compromised position uh, using the restroom. Uh, boy, they got they got lit up on that one. They got in huge huge trouble. You hear all sorts of things, and again, it just makes my blood boil but i'll tell you what uh, there is prosecution there are laws against uh, all of these things and and if you see it you have to report it uh, i see uh, uh, families you know leaving their parent alone knowing they're at high risk of having an accident that falls into the area of neglect uh, which tom outlined very very clearly uh, i see people who are uh, looking for medicaid uh, to pay for expensive senior care and then they forget to mention a large trust or a large sum of money uh, that they're trying to hide this is, they're just very clearly wanting to uh, preserve their inheritance i've had some people look at me and they say this in quotes they say steve uh, what if this money just and they do this quote goes away or disappears 
And I've heard that so many times. And I look at them and I, and I said, can I ask you just one question? Yeah, sure, Steve. How do you look in an orange jumpsuit? And they look at me and, and they're, they're not sure what to think about it. And, and, and I'm like, I'm serious. How do you look in an orange jumpsuit? Because that's a federal offense. That's a crime. You cannot do that. You must handle all of the finances properly. If there's any question or if you're interested in an asset protection strategy uh, to preserve assets for the community spouse who can still live independently for all of that, I've discussed from now and, and, and forever, contact a knowledgeable qualified and experienced elder law attorney to do this properly. You want to do it right. You do not want to pull any funny stuff there. That will get you in huge, huge trouble. Um, I've seen people uh, with power of attorney taking a parent's money and not using it properly, uh, just not uh, being a good steward uh, of the of the money. And guess what? That, that could be considered uh, a form of financial exploitation. Um, Let's see, what's another one here? Uh, people uh, received a call from authorities that her, her grandmother can no longer uh, care for her grandpa, needed to be placed in a nursing home as soon as possible because he was not receiving care. So that was in the area of neglect. Uh, there, uh, I've, I've heard several stories of someone working in one of these senior care communities. Unfortunately, they were caught on video uh, taking powerful pain relief medication like hydrocodone and, and uh, some of the oxy uh, uh, category, but but taking those and replacing them like with Tylenol and with just very just basic over-the-counter pain meds. And then, of course, they pocket them, probably sell them, use them, a combination of all the above. But 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 the point is you, you, you can't do that either. So many examples of this. So here's here's the point, just to put kind of a, a an explanation exclamation point uh, on the elder financial abuse that we discussed last week. If you see or suspect any form of elder abuse, physical abuse, neglect, or financial exploitation, I'm going to read those two phone numbers to you again. This is the first step in reporting. This is how you could report it. It's a hotline. There's a separate number for Kansas and Missouri. So I'll give you Kansas first. 1-800-922-5330, 1-800-922-5330, 1-800-922-5330. So that is the number of the hotline in the state of Kansas in Missouri, 1-800-392-0210. Again, in Missouri, 1-800-392-0210. And I am absolute, I am just dead serious. If you see any type of elder abuse, we have to look out for our elders. Call it. Call those phone numbers. Uh, you can report it. Uh, you can, many times you can report it anonymously. If you're a mandatory reporter, uh, you are protected. You're absolutely protected by the immunity aspect of the mandatory reporting. Uh, so, and we talked about all that last week. If you missed it, Again, go to SeniorCareLive.com podcast tab, and you can hear the entire episode from last week. All right, so let's shift gears, and for the rest of the program, I want to talk about memory care, memory care that you would find in one of the senior care communities, um, and because I, I think it's really misunderstood, and it's just kind of thrown around and genericized. I want to just spend just a few minutes here uh, that we have left in the remainder of the program and define it and just give you some aspects of memory care. 
So memory care is a special type of care for those residents with Alzheimer's or dementia. Okay, you can find memory care, and this is when it starts getting just really, really uh, kind of kind of crazy and complex. Memory care can be found at several or multiple different levels of care. So it can be found at the residential care level of care. You can find memory care at the home plus level of care. You can find memory care at the assisted living level of care. You can also find memory care offered at the nursing home or the long-term care level of care. So, so what does that mean? Well, aspects of memory care include, and this is uh, kind of one of the one of the real big ones that's common uh, throughout all of those different levels of care. You have locked exit doors. They're secured uh, usually or generally uh, secured with a code number, like a four digit code number, and that code number uh, changes. You know, usually every month. It could change every day. Uh, usually, the ones that I see uh, most frequently are changed every month. Just change that up. Uh, so why do you need locked exit doors that are secured with a code number? Well, uh, a big part of the decline in Alzheimer's and various forms of dementia would include wandering or exit seeking. This is very, very common. And at some point with memory care residents, uh, they can leave the area, uh, but, but, uh, but they have to be accompanied because if, if they're not accompanied, they could just walk away. Uh, a lot of times you're kind of curious, you're, you're walking around, you're like, Hey, well, I wonder what's going on out here. You're not trying to cause any trouble, uh, but you, you open the door, you walk outside. And the next thing you know, you might be standing in the middle of a busy street. Uh, you may wander away from the building when it's zero degrees outside or a hundred degrees outside. Uh, uh, you just, you just may put yourself in harm's way. And so to leave the area, it, it's not a prison, right? You can leave the area. You just need to be accompanied. For your own safety. That's just as simple as that. And then also a higher level of uh, what the industry calls elopement risk, meaning that you'll try to leave the area, uh, is uh, exit seeking. And so that's uh, where you get to the point where you may become agitated or confused. And you're like, you know what? This isn't my house. I'm going home. Where's the where's the door? I'm hitting the first door, the first window. I am out of here. And they're literally actively exit seeking. Now, that's a whole different level, and you have to really watch that. You have to make sure that memory care residents are very safe and secure in their home at one of these senior care communities. After the break, I'm going to go into all of the other aspects of memory care. Don't go away. It's really, really interesting, very informative, and I'll be right back in about three minutes. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information, call now, toll-free, 1-800-331-6445. Operators are standing by, 1-800-331-6445. I'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Senior Care Live on the Senior Care Broadcasting Network. For more information about the services offered on this program and how we can help you and your family, call our toll-free number at any time, 1-800-331-6445. Again, that toll-free number, 1-800-331-6445. 
four five. Uh, let me just uh, continue with an overview of the aspects of memory care. We uh, we initially talked about the different levels of care that you could find memory care. Uh, so I call those the levels of care, and then memory care is the type of care that you would receive. It's a special type of care that we're talking about today for those residents uh, with cognitive impairment. That would include, you know, primarily. Uh, Alzheimer's disease are one of the many forms of dementia. Uh, so we talked about locked exit doors that are secured with a, generally a four-digit code number. Uh, another aspect, uh, the memory care area is just going to – some people call it a memory care unit. That sounds a little institutional. Uh, so uh, some, some places call it a memory care neighborhood uh, or just – memory care or a special care area, these sort of things, but they're talking about uh, uh, memory care. So generally speaking, these areas are small. Now, it's not because we're trying to be stingy. They're small on purpose. Uh, it's a smaller area. The area is just generally small so that the resident does not become overstimulated. So the whole goal here is to keep all memory care residents calm and relaxed calm and cool and just enjoying themselves. We're trying to maximize quality of life here. If you had a larger area that could lead to an increased noise level, uh, you know, more lights, more bells, uh, more people walking around, more movement, more everything, more stimulation. So they're in, generally speaking, they're intentionally a smaller area, and that is 100% on purpose. It is by design. Okay, and then you have activities. So due to the shorter attention span of someone with cognitive impairment, the activities are generally shorter in length. So you're you're not going to have bingo for an hour. Uh, you may have uh, an activity, and, and there's not just bingo. You have a lot of different activities. Uh, it may be a musical program or crafts or an exercise, or it could be a lot of different things. But, uh, you know, instead of an activity lasting an hour, memory care residents, you know, they may have a 20-minute long activity, a 15-minute long, a 30-minute long activity. So you'll see more activities in memory care in in, in a shorter time frame. So uh, so hopefully that makes sense. And, and again, you know, someone with a shorter times uh, attention span, uh, you're you're gonna you're gonna have a shorter period of time to have fun with that activity, and then they're gonna lose interest, and you're gonna have to move on to a different uh, activity. And that's uh, that's part of a memory care program. Uh, and then another issue is uh, with an issue of behavior called sundowning. So the staff in the memory care unit are specially trained to expect some of these things. They expect sundowning. So uh, they expect many uh, residents with Alzheimer's disease to experiencing uh, sundowning syndrome. And this is when the resident becomes more agitated or frustrated, generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, during the late afternoon hours or maybe into the early evening hours. Uh, generally, it just seems to correlate to the end of the workday. Uh, and, 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 you know, generally speaking, you know, the sun's starting to set at that point. So I think that's, uh, th- those things are kind of correlated. So I've had someone recently, some of my clients with senior care consulting say, you can set, I always ask, so does your, your mom, your dad, your spouse, your loved one, uh, are they sundowning? Do they have any of those uh, types of behaviors? <laughs> I had a couple of daughters recently say, uh, dad gets wound up. You could literally set your clock. It's guaranteed every afternoon at 3.30. It is like someone flips a switch and boom, you can literally see him become 
more confused, more Ill, irritable, a little more agitated, a little more anxious, and uh, and the, and he has to be dealt with to try to undo that every single day. Uh, one place uh, has a gentleman. Uh, he was a postal worker for decades. And so to help him kind of burn off his energy, he would get pretty wound up, pretty anxious, pacing, and he just had a lot of energy and, and every single afternoon. So they were very, very smart. They collected a lot of kind of junk mail and magazines, you know, different uh, postal, uh, different zip codes, et cetera, et cetera. And they asked him every afternoon when he did that, they said, can you help us sort out the mail? He goes, oh, yeah, I've, I've got that. So he would go in this table and he would sort the heck out of that mail, you know, for about 30, 45 minutes. And, and it just really, and, and he did this pretty assertively, pretty aggressively. And he was throwing mail around and stacking and moving things around and, 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 and looking at zip codes and putting magazines with magazines and just, just all this stuff. And, uh, it was actually a, a, a beautiful, uh, way for him in a, in a constructive way, uh, to, uh, to, to burn off some, some of that negative energy, that anxiety. Uh, and then when he was done with that, he was just pretty calm and cool and relaxed after that. I thought it was really creative. Uh, one place discussed the behavior with the family and they discovered that uh, dad was a principal at a school and every, this, this is long, quite a long time ago, but every day he would go out at the end of the day and he would walk around the building. Uh, and he wanted to make sure that everyone got out, all the doors were locked, everyone, no one was stuck in the parking lot, and, and everyone had left for the day. And this is kind of his routine habit for decades. They wanted to know, why is it that every single afternoon, 4.30, 5 o'clock, you know, your dad's trying to bust out of the doors here? Well, they said, well, we wonder if it ha- if it's related to what he did every day at work. So understanding that every day, they would get him dressed up uh, properly for the for the temperature, and they would go out and they would walk around the entire building, and they would check out the cars in the parking lot. And he was satisfied when he returned to the building, uh, back into the building. He was satisfied that he did his job, and then he relaxed. He wasn't so wound up and uh, and, and anxious and uh, and and agitated and irritable, etc. Uh, so just just some creative ways here. And, and again, not all sundowning happens late afternoon or early evening. It could happen at any time of the day, but generally speaking, it's pretty common late afternoon, early evening. Uh, and then you have staff train in what's called redirection. Uh, and this is helping a resident change their focus from one thing uh, to another. So if someone uh, is, is you know, grabbing the door handle and just trying to shake it and they're just getting really upset that they can't go outside, uh, you distract them with a question and get them going off into another direction. Uh, so really quick, I had the opportunity to use redirection uh, with uh, a friend's parent who has Alzheimer's. She literally walked away from the house from the birthday party. Party, and she was quite a ways down the road walking towards a highway, and I'm not making this up. I go running out there, and, uh, and, and, I, and I touched her shoulder, and she turned around, and she was just talking about, I don't know what she was talking about. She was totally wound up, and, and this was late afternoon, by the way, okay? And I said, I said, Patty, guess what? The boys got a new fire truck, and they want to show you. Come on. And she goes, all right. So I distract her with something that I knew she'd be interested in, seeing the boys' toys. And I put my arm out. She grabbed my arm, and we walked quickly 
probably a quarter mile back to the house, but I was able to use the technique of distraction in redirection to, 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 to positively distract her from what she had her mindset on and distract her and get her to cooperatively, very, very nicely walk back to the house with me. So the staff in memory care units and neighborhoods are, are trained to understand this. You have a snozzling room. I don't have time to go into that today, but you have lots and lots of aspects of memory care. And if you need help with this, you can always call my firm, Senior Care Consulting. We can certainly help you find the right fit at the level of, uh, at, at the memory care level if that is needed for you. So hopefully that's helped you understand some of the various aspects of memory care. To everyone listening today, I'm so honored you spent part of your day tuning into the program. Thank you very much. I'm your host, Steve Keeker, and I wish you grace and peace. May God bless you and your family on this day and always. I'll see you next week right here on Senior Care Live. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. See T Mobile.com. 